Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, coming to you on Tuesday, the same day as the Pistons' 19th game of the regular season, up against Charlotte Hornets this evening. 7.30 tip-off of that game, the first of three road games against playoff teams, all culminating with that game against the Atlanta Hawks coming up on the second. A big week of basketball and some big breaking news coming out of the Pistons in the last few days. Reggie Jackson, a full participant in practice on Monday. And we talk a lot about Reggie Jackson on this episode. This episode, I'm joined by Lazarus Jackson, Last Chance, as well as Jacob Kivenhoven. We look at the team's first 18 games, one-fifth of the season, already in the books. And we look ahead to what's to come. And that includes the return of Reggie Jackson and what that means for the team. We do some deep dive on some statistics and also look at the Eastern Conference playoff picture. I know you're going to love this one. And thank you for your continued support of this podcast, the official podcast of the DetroitBadBoys.com and SB Nation site. You can find archived episodes on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash DetroitBadBoys. And if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. And please take the time to rate this little podcast on iTunes and let us know what you think. We appreciate the feedback, and as always, it's time to go to work. So the Pistons are now 20% of the way through the NBA season, and on to talk about that first 20%, and hopefully to talk about the four-fifths of the glass that is still full of the Pistons season, uh, are two guys that I'm very excited to have on for this episode because we have looked at what Pistons fans are saying on DetroitBadBoys.com and got an idea of what episode you wanted to hear from us, and that's the episode we're providing you today. So to answer some of those questions and to talk about the team, is Lazarus Jackson. How are you, Laz? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. And also on uh, last week of coverage, but he will be on next week as well, is Jacob Kivenhoven. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing really well, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Well, I want to start with just general impressions about the team. It's been a little while since we've talked about the Pistons. Laz, I'm going to start with you. We haven't had you on since the Pistons have started actually playing basketball. Uh, but just your overall impressions of what you've seen through the first 18 games of the season. Team sits at 8-10. and 10. How are you feeling about the Pistons? I am, I remain cautiously optimistic. Uh, If you had told me before the season started with Reggie's injury and everything, the team would be hanging around 500, I would have taken it. However, I think uh, a lot of Pistons fans' frustration lies in the way that the team has gotten to hanging around 500, looking kind of lifeless on the road, um, not uh, playing down to level their opponent, not playing... uh, not playing super well for a, uh, the four-game losing stretch that happened last week. 
um, blowing some games that they should have won. Uh, the Phoenix game immediately jumps to mind. So I think I think uh, I, w- I will take it, but I'm not happy about having to take it. And Jacob, what about you? Kind of similar feelings or, or anything different there? Yeah, similar to a degree. I think that's a good point that I hadn't really thought of that he just brought up about how I'm happy with where we are, but I'm not necessarily happy with how we've gotten there. I haven't really seen – we've been frustrated with the development of Andre Drummond and Stanley Johnson, and I think that's for a decent reason. But I'm very happy that this team has been able to play a borderline top five defense level. And since the main the main concerns that we have are offensively, and since Reggie Jackson will be coming back at some point, that does make me pretty optimistic that this team is going to be able to make the playoffs pretty easily. Good. We will. I'll, I'll save jumping off of that question because I want to talk more about the Eastern Conference and where things stand right now. Uh, the Pistons are, of course, in ninth place right now in the East, about a half game to a full game behind the Pacers, depending on when you're listening to this. And Jacob, talking about the defense, that they're playing borderline top five defense right now. I think the defensive efficiency numbers have the Pistons at sixth. So we're a top 10 defensive team and a bottom 10 offensive team. If the defense continues to play this well when Reggie Jackson returns, Jacob, do you see the offense just getting better with Reggie? Do you see that that offensive efficiency number getting better when he's back? I do. I think the Pistons have the true talent level of maybe the 15th, 13th to 17th best offensive team in the league. And I think Reggie Jackson unlocks the pick and roll in so many ways that Ish Smith simply cannot because Ish Smith doesn't force the defense to bend in any way with his pick and rolls because you can just go under on him every single time. And I think that is something that can kind of deflate a whole offense and especially force a team to take a lot of tough looks. This isn't a good shooting team to begin with. It never really has been a good shooting team under Van Gundy. But at the same time, I don't believe that the true talent level should be a true shooting percentage that ranks in the bottom four of the league. Very low looking at some of these shooting numbers. Uh, it, it just the statistics with true shooting percentage and three point percentage. It is ridiculously low. Last, are you as optimistic about Reggie's return uh, helping the offense to get back to that kind of middle of the pack in the NBA? Yeah, and I think it. Uh, this sounds obvious, but I think it'll especially help the starters. Uh, Tobias started hot from three early. Right now, he's at uh, he's just under thirty two percent from three um kcp's at 36 percent um marcus marcus has had his struggles and uh we should we should talk about that a little bit later but uh and you know ish obviously isn't a very good perimeter shooter and so you figure reggie shoots about 35 percent and if you you hope tobias can kind of raise his uh, perimeter shooting up to about 35 percent and i think that gets us to the level that jacob's talking about that uh that somewhere between the 13th and the 17th best offense in the league. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that's kind of where I would peg this offense. I was really surprised, but I think a lot of it is brought down by how poorly the team has been shooting and the starters specifically that, that could just be ish Smith. Uh, But last, I think I agree with you that it's also, how Reggie can affect his teammates um, when he, when he returns and being more of a offensive threat himself, being able to score himself, that might help uh, open up the court a bit as well. But looking at the shooting numbers, the team is shooting 31.9% from three point range. That is third worst in the NBA. And of the bottom eight teams, I guess the bright side is in, in terms of three point percentage of the bottom eight teams, 
The Pistons are the only team that have won six games or more. So, so that's a positive. But that can't continue. I, I, I don't know if you have a number in mind, Laz, of where this team should be shooting. Do you see, Where do you see the improvement coming from with the three-point shooting? Is it just players specifically getting better, or is it something with the offense improving? I think it's, I think it's player-specific and a heavy dose of Reggie, honestly. Um, I don't what's Ish's? Ish's actually shooting 33% from three. But when we were talking two weeks ago, it was at 9%, so that's yeah. been an improvement since then. <laughs> yeah, but he's only attempting a single three a game, which, uh, so he's making a third of a three every single game. Like, that's not, even, uh, even attempting more threes uh, kind of stretches out the offense to a point where it can operate more fluidly. And so him not even being that perimeter threat, not even a threat on like spot ups where you could uh, alternatively like kind of run the secondary offense through a guy like KCP or through a guy like uh, Tobias and have Ish kind of be a spot up on the wing or spot up in the corner. Like defenses still don't even respect that. So it, it having Reggie replace that with, you know, capable perimeter shooting, from uh, from an offensive position that's super important to uh, the way Stan Van Gundy runs his offense, I think is is where a lot of the improvement comes from. And I don't want to I don't want to pile on Ish here because this is a uh, we we knew who he was coming in, but we also didn't expect this to be his role coming in. So uh, I think he will look better with the second unit. Um, he'll be freer to just push the tempo all the time with uh with lure um you've seen some of the chemistry they have in the in transition but uh as for for where the offense currently is with the starters he's just not he's just not the guy and he's not supposed to be that's true it's definitely something to keep in mind fans definitely i want to say they kind of bag on ish And, and during the game i i was on twitter the other night and i think it was ben qualiata who said you know, every shot he takes, and thank God he's taking less of them, I go, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then occasionally when it goes in, it's like, oh, thank God he took that shot. And it is, it's kind of this roller coaster of emotion you have with Ish as an, as an off, on the offensive side. Uh, but you're right, he is who we thought he was. And I think that's something to keep in mind. We thought we'd be seeing him 15 minutes or so a night, and, and getting a, a larger dose of Ish is it just it shows that he is probably more of a role player for this team. Uh, Laz, I have to ask: Do you do you see him as the long term backup point guard? Would you rather see Bino Udra in the short term behind Reggie when he returns? I would like to see Ish uh, when Reggie comes back. I'd like to see Ish with the with the bench just to see how it goes. Um, you gave Ish uh, not a huge deal, but a sizable deal to be come in and be your backup point guard. I'd like to see how he performs in that role before uh, I handed it over to Beno. And that's not to say that Beno has played poorly. Beno's played well. But uh, you, I have to wonder if Ish would play uh, as well or in, in a different way, obviously, because Beno is a better perimeter shooter. But if I, I have to wonder if Ish would play as well in, uh, in, in the role that was envisioned for him, you know? Yeah. No, it's something we'll, we'll find out hopefully soon. Jump off of the, the shooting. I, I know we've talked about before in the last couple episodes that you've been on, this is never going to be a great shooting team. You think that this team is going to all of a sudden shoot 37% when Reggie comes back? That's just not going to happen. There's not a single above-average shooter for their position on the roster, except maybe John Moore. We could give him credit for that. So I, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I think it's more just like this team doesn't have anybody who can force a mismatch and these mismatches lead to double teams and the double teams lead to open threes. And I think that combined with the below average personnel, that's where you're really going to have no choice, but to end up with a bottom five team in three point percentage. Lure's three point percentage is not great right now. If yeah. Know. Not right now. I mean, not I right think now. his career norms have been pretty decent though. And I would trust that over a, I mean, I guess it's like his sample last year wasn't great either. So maybe even he's a stretch to include in that group. Yep. I, I think he's, I think he's capable of doing that, but, um, I will, I will definitely be interested to see what he looks like playing next to Ish against uh, bench units. Um, Ish seems to be more of like a, uh, a driving kick guy and uh, Lure as a pick and pop guy. Uh, I'm not sure how those two kind of fit together. I think you're right. I mean, the problem, and again, we, we don't want to bag on Ish. I don't think he's a bad player, but I think it's it's the drive and kick is so much less effective when the drive doesn't force any help. Who are you kicking to in that instance? Yeah, I would be I would be curious to see uh, when Reggie comes back if we finally uh, see some of the the smaller lineups, the lineups with uh, with Lure at center, just so that uh, you can play five out, and and when you drive, the the help has to come because there's no one standing at the rim because everyone's guarding someone on the perimeter. Um, I think that'll. I think that will suit Ish's game a little bit better, and uh, I think uh, Lure has the athleticism and kind of the the gravity to uh, mess with a lot of backup centers. I definitely agree with that. I think that's the lineup that has a ton of potential, and right now I think the main impediment to it is that there are just more good players on the team that are big guys than good players on the team who are guards. Lance, I was going to ask you the uh, the potential for a small ball lineup do you see that working better with ish and lure and the second unit or something that lure can mix in with the with the starters see i've been uh i don't know if you guys follow uh, uh duncan smith on twitter uh he's a guy i think he runs piston powered he's been uh, advocating uh, what he calls the big lineup which is uh, ish kcp tobias harris uh, lure and drummond um and i think that lineup is uh According to the numbers a couple weeks ago, it was like one of the top lineups um, in small sample size in the league. Um, that lineup uh, has its own issues, I think. Uh, ish. That, that lineup has absolutely no shot creation from <laughs> anywhere, so it's super reliant on Ish, and I don't like that. Um, I do think Lure is better as a small ball five. I think it, it, it'd be better if you get him and uh, if you can finally get uh, Stanley Johnson going and you shift him uh, to the, to the wing, to the three instead of the two where he's been a lot this year and you run a lineup of, against uh, bench units. That's something like uh, Ish, Darren, Stanley, uh, Marcus, John. I feel, I feel like that lineup would be, uh, I feel like that lineup would suit Ish's strengths as a point guard. Well, and uh, I feel like if you play that five out, I feel like, I feel as if that uh, you could you could score better with a lineup that big, and you, I don't think you lose a lot rebounding because Lure's a has a fairly good rebounding rate, and uh, Stanley's a good rebounder from the wing. It's a perfect transition because I wanted to talk a bit about rebounding as well. I always think of the Pistons as being a good rebounding team, and looking at the rebounding rates right now in the NBA, the Pistons find themselves in the bottom eight in the league. Uh, we of course have maybe the best rebounder in the league in Andre Drummond. What is it about the rest of the team that makes us below average as a rebounding team, Lyles? 
I think uh, I think and Stan has harped on this in game after game uh, in the post in post game pressers. It's he's been uh, harping on rebounding and defense. It feels like all year, and I think part of it is that uh, we're expecting Tobias and Marcus to rebound. A kind of above their position. Neither one of those guys is really a true, uh, true stretch four or true four man. They're both kind of wings, and so I think the starters right now are overly reliant on Andre to get rebounds. Um, I know Ish isn't a good rebounder because you know he, he's short. Reggie maybe helps a little bit with that because he's taller and he's got a better wingspan, but uh, his his effort on the boards kind of waxes and wanes depending on how he's feeling. So I don't want to I don't want to say that uh, that will improve when Reggie comes back because I feel like that's too much of a stretch. But uh, I'd be interested to hear how Jacob answers this question too. Yeah, I think it, there's a lot of factors involved. I mean, even Andre Drummond playing three less minutes per game make, could make a big difference in our rebound rate. He's averaging almost a rebound and a half less per game on the offensive glass, which I think means there's just a lot of post-ups for him. There's a lot of plays where he's not incorporated, where he's not charging the basket with Reggie Jackson and, you know, Reggie Jackson drawing the help that opens up the offensive glass for Andre Drummond. I think there aren't any other real great rebounders. KCP is a terrible rebounder. Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris, I both, I see them, I don't know if I see them as wings, but I definitely see them as, as fours offensively, but threes defensively. So that could be another problematic thing with our rebounding. And I think, I don't know, I, I don't know if the team has necessarily put Andre Drummond in the best positions to prop up the team's rebounding single-handedly, like he sort of needs to. But I think it's just like, there's no reason at all in my mind that this team shouldn't be a top five to 10 offensive rebounding team with Drummond and Tell playing 33 minutes a game. And does that come back to Reggie again? Is that just having the, the, the Drummond Jackson pick and roll and putting Drummond in better position for offensive rebounds? Is that, is that enough Jacob to, to improve that? I mean, I think it's enough to improve it. Yeah. Is it enough to get it up to a, an elite level? Probably not. I mean, I, I think like, Andre Drummond needs to play harder. He needs to be more engaged. And I don't think he's been bad this season, but I think, you know, he's got to go out and play like a franchise player. And, I, and that, as much as I hate that kind of like, that kind of speak, I do think he's been lackluster in some games. Maybe he just, and, and, and you know, when you don't put a guy necessarily in the best position to succeed, he might not respond with his best effort, but at the same time, I think, you know, he's he's got to step up more with Reggie Jackson out and then prop up the pick and roll more by himself with Reggie out. Yeah, that's kind of the Dwight Howard conundrum. Is it the position that the player's in or is it the player's own motivation uh, as a big man? I, I wanted to get back to, to, to three-point shooting and, and kind of bring in rebounding as well because a lot of what we're talking about kind of seems like personnel fits. And that definitely worries me a bit when you look at Stan Van, the roster he's put together, and we, we love the results last season. And with a below 500 record right now, I don't think there's any panic. But this definitely doesn't seem to be, I don't know, maybe not the way Stan Van want, wanted the season to start. We're only shooting 19 threes a game. We're not rebounding well. The defense is great, but beyond that, it just doesn't seem like a Stan Van team. Uh do you see the the fit issues, Laz, or is, or am I just kind of maybe overthinking it? Uh, I think you're overthinking it a little bit. Um, 
this isn't this isn't the team that Stan wanted to see at the beginning of the year because obviously he wanted to see Reggie in place of Ish at the beginning of the year, and that's not possible. Once uh, once everything uh, kind of figures itself, well, once Reggie's Reggie's ready to play, I think we'll we'll see more of the offensive uh, aspects of the team that Stan was looking for. Um, as like I said, especially with uh, I think you can run some of the different lineups with with Ish coming off the bench and and Lure uh, soon kind of going small, but you're still having perimeter players at every position. Um, I think that improves the three point shooting. If if Stan was really if he was really uh, looking to make wholesale changes uh, before Reggie came back, he could and he could look into inserting Lure into the starting lineup, but I don't really think that helps the, I don't really think that helps the bench or the starters enough to consider doing that. Um, I think, I think Lure is a valuable rebounder. And so you'd help the starting lineup that way, but uh, whatever you took away from the, from the bench by having one of Marcus or Tobias uh, kind of be the guy who's supposed to prop up the bench rebounding and defense. I don't think that would work super well. I think it's more on the side of just Reggie Jackson isn't here. I mean, he's probably the most important player on the team from an offensive standpoint and in terms of how the team is going to look when it's out there, he's the biggest factor in that. So I don't know if you can really draw too many conclusions based on what we've seen so far and how it's going to impact the season going forward. I think it's just like, it's hard to think of another good example because, you know, the team is still going to be propped up and playing just decently well, but just, a player who's so central to your identity being out is obviously going to make it a lot harder to say that any of this is going to continue. I will say there's, there's one thing that I've, I've seen that's maybe not a result of, uh, of Reggie's injury, but I think, uh, I think KCP's uh, off or on the ball game has really uh, come into, he's coming to his own with that uh, in the absence of, of Reggie. Reggie's a super dominant ball handler. And so uh, without him in place, I think KCP has gotten more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Um, as we've seen sometimes, uh, maybe you don't always want the ball in his hands. He's, he's still taking those uh, those unwanted, unwanted uh, transition threes. And when he just pulls up, you're like, oh, man, come on, KCP. But uh, I think having KCP develop as a secondary ball handler, like on the job, has been uh, something that has been nice to see. Uh, with that Reggie in place. I definitely agree with that. I think most people assumed that that secondary guy was going to be Tobias Harris, but I've seen a lot more kind of passing and creation improvement from KCP this season than I have from Tobias. Yeah, KCP had 10 assists against uh, the Clippers. Like uh, two seasons ago, if you had told me KCP had double-digit assists, I would have like, stared at you blankly for an hour. <laughs> that was inconceivable. So I'm I'm really glad that uh, we we're starting to see this side of of KCP. I mean, maybe not so glad because we still have to pay in this off season, but uh, on the court, it's definitely welcome with the, you know, with the absence of Reggie Jackson. I I think I kind of expected to be Tobias Harris as well. Uh, and the one player we haven't mentioned, and, and Laz, I know you said you knew we would talk about him at some point is Marcus Morris. We're talking about finding ways of getting John Luer more minutes and. It does seem that Marcus Morris's role may be shrinking or becoming, I don't want to say less important, but 
uh, less of a focal point with that starting unit. So, Jacob, I'll start with you. What do you think of the way Marcus Morris has played this season, and do you see his role decreasing uh, in the return with the return of Reggie Jackson? I think Marcus Morris again. He's he's t- a lot of these guys. I feel like I just kind of know who they are, but then at the same time, you can you can think you know a player, and then when they stop hitting threes, which are fluky, then all of a sudden. So much of what made them an inadequate starter at five million a year or four million a year goes away. So I think like he's a streaky enough guy that Marcus Morris is going to and for the defensive side of the ball. It's being marginalized in the rotation a bit. And Laz, what do you think? Do you see him being like Jacob said, possibly marginalized? Um, even with the the three point percentage being something that maybe has gone away without being completely something he's done that, that should count against him. Yeah, I think his game doesn't really uh, lend itself very well to uh, his, the decline in his three-point shooting. It's really, ideally, you only want him shooting uh, like spot-up threes, or you want him working in isolation from like the mid-post. And a lot of those shots from uh, in isolation, you know, haven't been falling as much this year, and so he's been just a, a less effective offensive player overall. Um, I, I still think there's a role for him on this team. He's still, I think, the uh, team's uh, second-best uh, wing defender. Well, I, I get that, the starters. He's the starter's second-best wing defender um, behind KCP. And so you still want him to to defend. Um, like, against the Clippers, he was out there on Blake Griffin. Like, that's not – maybe you know that's not a matchup you're going to win – Every night, but at least you know, uh, you f- I feel like Marcus gives a better effort on that end than Tobias does at times. So I feel like there's still a place for Marcus in the starting lineup, but uh, he just has to start making more shots. And I wanted to ask both of you that with, and I think Laz, it kind of works perfect off what you just said with Tobias Harris and and maybe some of the worries you have about him on the defensive side. Would you rather see the Pistons look to a player like Stanley Johnson, who may, maybe is a better wing defender, but not as skilled offensively? Or would you rather see John Luer find his way into the starting lineup, a more skilled offensive player who maybe brings about some matchup problems on the defense? On defense? If it was going to be those two, I think I would choose uh, John Luer just because uh, Stanley has not played well this year. And, yeah. um, we can we can speculate about why that is, but uh, he just hasn't played well this year. Uh, I think with Lure in the starting lineup, you could hide some of Tobias's uh, weaknesses defensively a little bit better. Um, I know you'd I think you'd rebound a lot better, and I know that's an area which Tobias struggles. Um, I know uh, Tobias frequently finds himself out there guarding fours, true fours. Like he found uh, he was guarding like Lamarcus Aldridge and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was guarding. Uh, who else was he guarding? He was guarding uh, Jokic when we played Denver, and like that, those aren't matchups that uh, you should expect him to win defensively. And so I feel like if you inserted Lure into the starting lineup, maybe you put him in a better position uh, defensively to cover wings and not uh, ask him to do things he can't. Um, however, again, I don't. I think you take away too much from the bench if you if you take Lure into the starting lineup. And I think I would worry about that too. Jacob, what would you like to see uh, paired next to Tobias Harris and KCP at that, that wing and forward spot? I think eventually it needs to be Stanley Johnson. 
And I think there's for more, I mean, there's, there's more than one reason for that. One of the reasons is just that we've invested highly in him. He needs to be good, but I think also he's just not the greatest fit with the bench unit. I mean, he's, he's a three and D guy who's strong, switchable, going to be able to cash in on open three point looks eventually. And I think one of the reasons his fit has been so awkward is that there just really isn't a place for a 15 minute a game guy like him still early in his career right now with our bench unit. And I think like Tobias Harris, yeah, there are some questions about him defensively against certain power forwards, but I don't think that scares me quite so much that I would keep him out of the starting lineup, maybe pull him early if he's getting beat. But I mean, most of those guys that he's going to struggle to guard are really going to struggle to guard him as well. So I think Stanley Johnson, yeah, I would love it if he could eventually supplant Marcus Morris in the starting lineup. I just think he's got to start. Maybe he'll rank in a bunch of threes, just flukily one game, and then they'll start putting him in a better place to succeed from then on. Yeah, that's true. And just for the short term, maybe for the rest of the season, if it, if you see a move being made to that starting unit, is it Lure, Jacob? I think it probably is Lure. I mean, against if they played. I'm trying to think. Again, it's like there there aren't too many like big bulky power forwards that really scare me, but I think Lure is sort of getting enough minutes already. I mean, 26 a game is about what you would expect for him. I mean, that's probably even more than I expected him to play. That's so true. maybe it is Stanley Johnson if there's some kind of injury or if Marcus Morris gets traded or hurt or something. Yeah, that's true. And I didn't realize the 26 minutes a game, that definitely is more than what I would have expected. And uh, without looking at it, that's... I think what right. And what I wouldn't would say he necessarily has to play more than that. Yeah, I agree with you. Last, what do you think? Is twenty six a good number? Do you want to see more? Because more yeah, would put I him think, into starting I numbers. 20, I think twenty six is a good number. Stan has leaned on him uh, pretty heavily, in my opinion. Um, I'd like to. I'd like to see him play like yeah, between twenty five and thirty seems good. Um, if if he could up his three point percentage up to what his career average is, which is just under 36%, then I think you could, uh, then I think you could start uh, starting him or maybe looking to play him uh, the 30, 30, closer to 30 minutes a game. I mean, I look at teams like, uh, I look at like Atlanta and I look at, uh, and I look at teams like Boston and I think about what those teams would look like in, in playoff matchups. And, I really like. I don't want Tobias guarding Amir Johnson. I mean, I don't want Amir Johnson guarding Tobias, but I also don't. I don't want to uh, have Tobias get beat up by Amir Johnson, or I don't want. I don't want Tobias guarding Paul Millsap in a playoff series. You know, like we saw how how badly that went with Kevin Love. Obviously, that's Cleveland. Cleveland's going to do that to the vast majority of teams in the NBA. Um, but the the. You don't. I don't want Tobias guarding Paul Millsap in a playoff series. I feel like that's an easily exploitable matchup, and I feel like that's an issue. Yeah, I definitely worry about some of those potential playoff matchups, and, and it and it is a a lot of it is Tobias, uh, and part of that was just the Cleveland series last year. Uh, but yeah, looking at some of the other power forwards he might have to deal with in the East, uh, definitely some concerning matchups. Unless I mean, we find ourselves in a higher seed, just a little bit. I mean. I think, yes, that's a problematic matchup, but I mean, with Cleveland, it's just a team that has so many offensive weapons that I think if they really want, if the way Cleveland is going to beat us is with Kevin Love post-ups on Tobias Harris, like I'll take that over John Luer trying to guard Kyrie Irving, switching onto him in a pick and roll with the one and four. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. 
Well, now that we're here, we might as well talk about the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Pistons sitting at the, the nine spot, and they have been in the, the bottom few spots in the um, in the East Eastern Conference playoff picture for the last few weeks. Uh, but now that they're outside, I think it's it's time to look at the teams that are on the inside. You have the Knicks and Pacers just ahead of the Pistons at base, with basically 500 records. And without Reggie Jackson, I know a lot of this could be very different a few months from now. But just looking at the playoff picture as it stands today, are you worried about any of those three, I'll say three teams, I'll include the Hornets there as well, any of the three teams ahead of us just being better than the Pistons this season? Laz, I'll start with you. I I undoubtedly think Charlotte is a better team than us, um, especially since they got MKG back and have uh, kind of implemented him seamlessly into their offense, which was really surprising to me. But uh, he hasn't really shown his limitations offensively yet. They've only played 16 games, so I guess there's still time. But uh, I do think Charlotte's a better team than us. Um, Clifford, is uh, he's an SVG disciple. He always has his guys ready to come uh, out and play really well defensively. Uh, they rebound like madmen. Uh, I really like the uh, the switchability they offer with uh, MKG, uh, Nick Batum. And if he's engaged, Jeremy Lamb. Um, I like the the two through four they can throw out there, if that's the case. Uh, granted, Jeremy Lamb isn't always uh, super engaged, and that's not always the guy you want to lean on. But uh, Kemba has also been playing out of his mind. I would hate to uh, have to guard Kemba. I'd have to. I hate to have to throw KCP at Kemba in a playoff series, just because you don't uh, you don't know necessarily how what that's going to look like. Um, New York, less so. I don't. I struggle to see how uh, New York's lack of depth doesn't catch up to it as the season goes on. And as far as uh, Indiana goes, I think uh, I think I could give uh, Steve Henson, our editor, a lot of credit. Uh, he is a guy who watches the Pacers a little bit closely than I think a lot of people on DVB, and he had a, he had it called correctly. This is a, a Pacers team that just. Uh, does not look very fluid offensively. Um, and a lot of that is, a, I think you can attribute to the coaching of Nate McMillan uh, and the roster construction that Larry Burton has put together. I don't like uh, if we're talking about potential playoff matchups, like and who Tobias could guard I, Tobias guarding like that is young in a playoff series. I'm totally fine with that. Like, sure. <laughs> go have at it. If you want to kill us with, uh, <laughs> with that is young, go for it. So I, I, I think the I think the Knicks drop, and I think the Pacers drop, and I think uh, I think Detroit rises. But I definitely think Charlotte is a better team than us. Jacob, go ahead. What do you what do you think of those bottom three teams and how they compare to the Pistons? Yeah, I don't have really any differing opinions from what he just offered up. I'm I'm a big Charlotte fan. Have been a big Charlotte fan for a while. Uh, with the Knicks and the Pacers, I guess this got changed a little bit with um, Indiana just now beat the Clippers by 21, but. I mean, before that, before that, they were they and the Knicks both uh, both minus three point oh point differential per game. So that's essentially their net rating. That is the same as the five and ten Washington Wizards, and actually significantly worse than the five and eleven Miami Heat. 
So I think that is has pretty much in my mind proven to be more predictive than one loss record of what to expect for a team going forward. So I, I do not think, I mean, those two teams have been playing like below 500 teams and I expect them to be below 500 teams. I agree that Indiana's roster just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. And they've really struggled offensively and defensively. And then the Knicks, you know, maybe Porzingis is just amazing and you can't have a non-playoff team with him. But at the same time, it's not like I would necessarily bet on them making the playoffs. And their record right now is just so similar to ours. Seven and two at home, one and six on the road, only 16 games into the season. Uh, very similar to what the Pistons have done. Uh, I think that's the team that I have the least amount of faith in of the teams that are in the play, uh, in the playoff picture right now in the Eastern Conference. That would be the Knicks. Uh, although the Pacers are atrocious on defense. I know they just held the Clippers to 70 points. I'm just going to consider that an outlier because what I, in the world was that? Yeah, I don't yeah, know what I to know. do with that. How, how did that happen? And like Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin all played a normal game, got their normal minutes. I, I don't know what to do with that one, so I'm not even going to consider it. Uh, but the Pacers are nine and nine, and yeah, it was a team that I definitely did not give enough credit in the off season. I thought for sure this was a bottom five team in the East, and, and right now they look like. If they can improve that defense, because still giving up 107 points a game, that that's not going to hack it. And the point differential, like you said, Jacob, minus three for the Knicks, minus 2.9 for the Pacers, that gives you the impression they're not playoff teams. Uh, and if if they continue to drop and the Pistons can even remain steady until Reggie returns, I think we could find ourselves in the playoff picture when Reggie's back, just because I think those two teams ahead of us could could be falling uh, given the way they've played so far. How about the teams behind us? Yeah, let's talk about the teams behind us. So if we had, last you said you had both teams falling out, the Knicks and the Pacers. What team behind the Pistons should we be worried about? I, I like Milwaukee. Uh, Jason Kidd is doing his usual uh, rotation roulette right now, and they don't really have a spot for uh, Greg Monroe. They're utilizing... One of the Plumleys, I can't tell them apart, and, <laughs> and John Hanson at, at center for the most part. And I think I think the Bucks can uh, do the thing where they're good enough defensively, night in, night out, to uh, kind of be a low 30s or a high 30s, low 40s win type of team. And that might be good enough to sneak into the, the bottom tier of the Eastern playoffs. Um, but, and I also think they make a move. It, Jason Kidd... Uh, pulls a lot of strings in that organization and it, fe- it feels like that's a team that's desperate to, uh, for more perimeter shooting. Well, if they could get a handle on that, uh, I think they could definitely be a playoff team. Milwaukee has been a surprise team to me. I did not expect them to have the shooting, the defense, the shot creation, the depth, really anything that they needed, but yeah. Giannis has obviously been super impressive. They've seen a big step forward from Jabari Parker, the increased shooting of Toledovich on their bench. And I think Kidd, you know, he's a great coach. He wasn't really around very much last year. I think that they're definitely a dark horse, along with a couple teams that are doing pretty poorly right now but have good, pretty decent point differentials. And Washington and Miami could maybe get back at it, but at the same time they – possibly could just decide, hey, you know, everyone's trying to win. Let's just get a top five draft pick. So I don't know. I think Milwaukee's probably the the favorite right now just because they've banked more wins than the other teams. But 
we'll see what happens. And I think making a move could definitely be smart. Maybe Middleton can come back, you know, two thirds of the way through the year or something. He would be a huge addition for them too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Milwaukee beat the Orlando magic. So it, a record of seven and eight now. I, I think you're right, just banking more wins at this point because it could be a slugfest at the bottom of the East. I I think this could be another year where you have a below 500 record making it into the playoffs. Jacob, you kind of alluded to the same thing. Do you see it being another year where the bottom of the East is just not quite up to par with the rest of the conference? I think so, yeah. I mean, Toronto looks great. Atlanta looks great. Chicago has been pretty impressive so far. I think Charlotte is better than their record of nine and seven has shown. So I think, you know, maybe those teams will be challenging for that 50 win plateau, which a lot of teams weren't back in the day when the, the eight seed was usually in the 38 to 40 win range. And that actually, instead of the East being bad, maybe the East is just kind of below average now. And those top teams are just stealing wins away from, you know, the 43, 44 win teams that we saw a lot of last year. Yeah, that's true. You could just have the top four teams, uh, taking away a lot more of those wins that went to the teams five through ten really last year. Last year, the two seed had like 40, 49 wins, right? Yeah. I think that was right. And I, I would really be surprised if one of those teams doesn't hit at least 50 this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I could see a, a more more than two. I, I could see the Atlanta, Toronto, Cleveland all with 50 wins. Chicago, I, I'm still not a believer. I want to see a little bit more. Basically, a 500 record on the road, I would just want to see more of the Bulls. I haven't seen enough this season yet to really get a good idea of who they are. Uh, you could say that about most of these teams, really, at this point in the season. Right. I'm starting to buy the Bulls more just because they've barely been playing Rondo. Like, if you just took yeah. Rondo out of there, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this this really isn't as bad as I thought. I think it's just Rondo dragged everything down. Yeah, it's, this all makes sense all of a sudden. Yeah, it really does. Uh, I think this, the Bulls, uh, if I... I want to say something real quick about the Bulls. The Bulls still have to figure out what they're going to do with their big man lineup, though, when uh, Lopez sits, because uh, Hoiberg has been throwing uh, lineups with uh, Bobby Portis and Nikola Mirotic out there at the same time, and neither one of those guys can defend at all, and so they just get scorched when both of those guys share the court. So they got to figure out uh, what to do. I think they need if when McDermott gets back and maybe they play McDermott at the four a little bit, that'll help. But, uh, yeah, they got to figure out to do with their big men. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of like these threads running through some of these teams where it's like, yeah, maybe this guy is just a top ten player in the league and everyone forgot about it or something. And I think Jimmy Butler is one of those guys. I still don't want to believe the Bulls are good. A 10-6 record. No, yeah. Yeah, it, it sucks when the Bulls are good. It, it is. Fans. Yeah, it, it is. It's not something I want to deal with. Uh, the one team below the Pistons that... I'm still intrigued just because of the little I've seen of them this season. I'm not sure why they're so bad. It's the Washington Wizards. I, I know that there's some chemistry issues. You've got Scott Brooks and his fit with uh, the roster that definitely there are some depth issues there. But I feel like the Wizards could could be a team that finds themselves around 33 to 37 wins. And that probably is good enough. Uh, although if they do want to get to 33 to 37 wins... You have to stop losing games and allowing teams to put up 110 every night. Um, yeah, they're not, that's been they're the main not problem. that bad. I mean, Ben would obviously make fun of me for this because he was low on them before the season and I was high on them. And I, I don't, I'm not totally willing to say that I was wrong yet. I mean, they've been, they haven't gotten Mahin me, and, you know, defense from center has been a huge problem for them. And they've been pretty decent whenever they 
have had like actually their real team out there, but you know, their bench is bad and they're really injury prone. Yeah. Yeah. I think the main thing with the wizards is that their bench is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> with, with no Mahim, with no Mahimni, uh, they're relying on like Trey Burke and Jason Smith to create offense when Wall and Beal sit. And like, that's not where you want to be. Yeah. They don't have the luxury of some of the younger players. The, the bucks have that like the Rashad Vaughn, Malcolm Brogdon players that can give you something in, in short minutes. They wizards just don't have any players like that, uh, that they can rely on. And you're right. It forces them to go to guys like Trey Burke and it's just, it's just not working. Uh, Tomas Sadoransky, if I'm saying that right, that it's yeah, one of the right. few bench players that I've, I've liked what I've seen so far this year, but I don't know if they can yeah. get if they can get and even and even he's shooting like under fifteen percent from three, which is not I, good. I, I like him too, but like that's not <laughs> you can't play that guy twenty minutes a night and no. expect to have a functioning like offense as a bench. No, they need Mahinmi. They need Beal at full strength. They can't have Wall sitting any games, and they need their real team out there. And if they do that, maybe they could play five hundred ballers slightly above it for the rest of the way, and that might be good enough to make the playoffs. That's true. Playing 500 the rest of the way is probably good enough for any of those teams positioned really 10 through 13. Uh, because you're right. If, if the bottom, you know, seventh or eighth seed in the East is looking like a 37 win team and have some of those teams in the playoff picture drop off. Uh, and I, I think you could see that, especially with the Pacers and Knicks. And I want to throw the Bulls in there as well because I just don't want to believe that they're any good. Uh, Who is your MVP of the East that is not on the Cavs? If you, or let me say this differently, if if you can draft any player in the league to start a team around that's not on the Cavs from the East, who is it going to be? That's two different questions. Because right now, I think clearly the non-Cavs MVP of the Eastern Conference is DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan, yeah. Uh, yeah, DeRozan's been on fire to start the year. And that probably won't, it's, well, it's, it's statistically improbable that that continues, but uh, but I think he he's playing he's playing really well. Um, but if you want to start a team like from the ground up, it's Paul George undoubtedly. The mm. he's one of the few two way players in the game that I would trust to uh, to lock down a LeBron or a Kawhi in a playoff series and feel good about it. I would consider Jimmy Butler as well. I think those are the two players that are probably in that discussion. It, is there anyone else? Jacob? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you said, like, you're starting a franchise, or, like, I, I could see the argument maybe for Porzingis, but I don't think he's above either of those guys quite yet. True, but I at 20 years uh, old, you're right. If you're starting a franchise, he's probably in that discussion. That's fair. I could also, if we're, if you want to if you're starting a franchise ground up, I could also see Giannis in that, in that role. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, only because he's such a lump of clay. Still, uh, this is what it's like his fourth year in the league, and he's still you still just don't fully know what he can be, which is terrifying. Laz will definitely have you on the podcast very soon to talk about maybe when Reggie returns. Maybe we all get back together when Reggie returns, and we can talk about some of the things we mentioned on this episode. When Reggie comes back, we just have like a six man blowout pod about how much we all missed Reggie, <laughs> how much we missed yeah. him. Yes, <laughs> we're going to need that after the way this season has started, yeah. and then we need to start winning too. Oh, yeah, that helps. Yeah, that we need to do that as well. All right, well, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 